Steilcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite betting company. Did you know you can create personalized bets? So if you fancy Leipzig to reclaim the top spot from Bayern next weekend, BetBuilder lets you create personalized bets and calculate the odds for any football match. They're right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sporting betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome again to Stahlcast with me, Raphael Honigstein. In this part three, there are no Ewoks, no cousin and cousin pasta making, and no straightening of the Tower of Pisa. But we do have a Mad Max, that's Ebel in Leipzig, as well as a formidable trio of podders for your delectation. TV commentator Kevin Hutchard, Jonathan Harding of Deutsche Welle, and the Athletics' very own Sam Lee join us for this edition. Gents, welcome. Nice to be here. I'm delighted that Ewoks have been mentioned already. That's a great start. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I should say from the outset that in line with the new behavioural code of conduct in the Bundesliga, I will come down very hard on any time-wasting and disrespectful <laughs> comments. So watch your words, although you will probably get away with rude hand gestures. Let's begin with Leipzig against Gladbach. A thrilling 2-2 draw and a big refereeing controversy. Was the official to be a Stieler justified in standing off Alisson player for two bouts of dissent, Kevin. He was justified against the backdrop of this push from the authorities to have more respect for referees, uh, to, you know, not argue so much, not get around referees and surround them. But to be a Stieler has always been one of the more officious referees on the circuit. And I think to give two yellow cards for players' reactions, what was originally the failure of Steeler to award a free kick in his favour, and then, you know, the the continuation of the argument, I felt it was harsh. Julian Nagelsmann, the RB Leipzig coach, felt it was harsh. And so even though Steeler then doubled down when he was talking to the media about it and felt that players' behaviour was unacceptable, I thought a bit of common sense wouldn't have you know, gonna miss. Well, I mean, agree. I think it's always a bad sign if uh, half the team think this is an unexpected and an unwarranted decision, even if the opposition uh, seems to believe that you maybe have made a mistake as a, re a referee and maybe you should double thing. Now, one good thing that did come out of this is that we learned what uh, player's nickname in the dressing room is. I don't know if you picked up on that, but Jonas Hoffman told, him, told us it's Lasso, which is quite nice. Um, I was wondering um, on that... Jonathan, was he off the leash here, or should he have really been? Should he have been treated more generously? In your opinion, I think uh, Kevin's absolutely right. A bit more common sense is what we need. I mean, there's no reason why to be a Steeler can't just say, "Look, guys, we need to calm this game down." You know, tensions are high. This obviously means a lot. This is an important game. There's no need, I don't think, to add more tension into the fixture by making that decision and while I agree that right now we do need to make sure the referee is being protected and you know respected my concern is that the consistency of the enforcing of this rule will not continue and so we we'll might have a game in two weeks where something similar happens and a player only gets one yellow card and I think that's part of the problem just take it down have a conversation I think there's an easier way to deal with it the counter argument is that the punishment was so draconian and of course, so important in the context of the game that maybe it will have a. Yeah, but will that happen? Do you think that's um, really going to happen? I don't think players. so. I think players will. I think players will push it as far as they can always. And I think if you have a better 
line of communication with your players, uh, it's it's more likely that you'll be able to control the situation. I th- it, it just escalates things, in my opinion, if you make that decision. Okay, we should perhaps explain to listeners who uh, didn't pick up on all the uh, detail that uh, there was a decree issued during the winter break, which in itself is perhaps problematic, that referees can or should, perhaps, that's certainly the implication, crack down on unsporting behaviour. They listed a long list of uh, misdemeanors like time wasting kicking the ball away uh, making hand gestures this sort of stuff Uh, but this was really the first incident that somebody's taken it to its logical extreme in um, the person of Stieler and of course uh, the biggest profile uh, high profile game as well with the biggest effect now the game changed completely as a result, didn't it? Yeah, it did, because Gladbach had started ever so well in the first half. They pressed superbly. Marco Rosa decided to field a 3-4-3 formation. He played Denis Sicaria, uh, who usually plays in midfield, in that back three. And so they were able to nullify Leipzig, Leipzig in attack, but also press them high up the pitch. And that's what led to the second goal. Lukas Klosterman had nowhere to go, really, with his clearance. He gifted the ball uh, to Gladbach in the Leipzig half. And then Jonas Hoffmann, with a lovely touch in the area, uh, found the space to finish. And that had followed what was already a wonderful team goal from Alassane Player. But the sending off of Player completely changed the the complexion of the game. If you think how good these coaches are, Rosa and Nagelsmann, when you suddenly take one player out of the equation, huge gaps open up and Leipzig were able to exploit those. Got a bizarre goal back when Jan Zoma collided with uh, Zakaria and dropped the ball in the penalty area and Patrick Schick scored. And then a stunning late equaliser from Christopher Nkunku, who I think has been fabulous this season. Well, I, I completely agree. But what I found interesting um, or what struck me about this game was that I came away thinking, actually, maybe Gladbach can do it after all. You know, we talked on the pod yesterday, uh, last week about their um, the amount of effort that it takes them to, to win games uh, when they struggle a little bit against Mainz. But this was the sort of performance, uh, despite of the ultimately slightly disappointing result, where I just felt, you know what, if they can concentrate every week on getting it right to the extent that they did and everything they did uh, off the ball, with the ball, then maybe they can do it. What do you think, John? Yeah, I think they need a little bit of luck as well, you know, <laughs> any side trying to to change the Bayern Munich dominance in the Bundesliga needs that bit of fortune. Um, you could argue that they were also a bit hard done by because, you know, go and, go and, I don't want to harp on too much about referees, but what you were saying about there being a new letter of the law being laid down about behaviour and sort of moaning a lot, you know, on those lines, along those lines, Timo Werner should have been sent off. Um I had enough of him moaning and complaining all game. And I think Leipzig, uh, Gladbach will probably make a case that they didn't get their their fortune in that in, in that regard. But nevertheless, it's the kind of performance where even if you are leading and you end up drawing, I think Gladbach, and you're right, could certainly take a lot from the game going forward. I think it's just a question of taking... It sounds really boring. I'm going to sound like a footballer in the mix zone after the game. But <laughs> I think for Gladbach, it very much is a week-by-week situation. You have to... You have to take it that way because if you start to get ahead of yourself, um, I think in in this league you start to to get a little bit worried, and I think that's exactly what Leipzig have had over the last couple of weeks. Because even though there's a lot of excitement about this late equaliser, 
I'm not sure whether Nagelsmann coming out last week and saying what he said after the loss to Frankfurt is a, was a good idea. I mean, it's a very big test of the mentality of this team who I'm not sure look like they're up for the fight, you know? So it, you have to manage things carefully, but it's, yeah, I really don't want to sound boring and I hope you're not going to book me for, you know, not time-wasting, but, you know, incorrect behaviour. But I do think it's a week-by-week -week situation for Gladbach. I would just... Uh offer a, a warning, <laughs> uh, not quite a yellow card. I will put my hand, you know, next to where the card is to okay. show you that it might be out. If you, yeah, if you, uh, no more, no more, that's it. Um, I mean, Max Eber uh, called the decision to award player uh, the first yellow card a joke. I think there's probably less argument about the second one because he just didn't stop. But as far as Leipzig are concerned, can they ultimately tell themselves, look, this is fine. We came back. We nearly won the game. We showed great mentality to um, come out in the second half and play a completely different game. We dominated and we made tactical changes that were very bold, playing effectively with four strikers and still uh, looked very solid in the second half. Or will they have to address this issue that somehow they don't seem to get those big games right at least not for 90 minutes i think that's the hardest thing to do and i think we forget sometimes because of the quality leipzig have shown this season they are learning it is nagelsmann's first mm. season with the club and they are ahead of schedule there's a lot of young players in that team who are learning on the job that's been a feature of what leipzig have done uh, since they came into the bundesliga they've been happy to throw young players uh, you know, into the fray. And so it's no big surprise that in these big games, they're not quite finding the intensity they need and they're giving away goals that perhaps they wouldn't normally give away. You look at the game against Dortmund. Dortmund really should have won that game, gifted Leipzig a couple of goals. And Leipzig kind of got stuck in second gear, really, for big swathes of that game. So it's all a big bit of a learning process for them. Well, they have lost uh, the opposition to Bayern of course who won at Mainz and of course they faced each other next week uh, with Leipzig going to Munich if Bayern were to win that game Leipzig would be four points adrift has this already the markings of a I don't want to say must win game but must not lose game if they still want to win the title yeah I think so absolutely and you know I I do fear, you know, the last time that we spoke on this podcast about Bayern Munich, I might have not been as complimentary as I should have been because now I feel like Bayern Munich are in, you know, full dominance mode. Uh, Hansi Flick has got them looking really good and I think Leipzig have every right to be afraid coming off this, yes, maybe perhaps a little bit euphoric about drawing a game uh, given how badly they played in the first half, but I, I think they have to be very concerned about playing Bayern Munich uh, next week, not only because of where they're at, but we're also because of where Bayern are at. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the champions. The first rule of Bayern Munich Fight Club is that we have to talk <laughs> about Bayern Munich Fight Club. Uh, what did you make of this uh, little bit of uh, argy-bargy, as we like to say, uh, fisticuffs between Leon Goretzka and Jerome Boateng in training in midweek? Was that a sign of a team being it's nervous? Healthy. And a lack of team spirit. It's healthy, it's yeah, because you need you need people to be competitive. I think you know, you need that edge. You know, I think players need to you need to want that. You need to want to see that in your team. You know, okay, I want the ball. I want to go for it. Okay, maybe sometimes it can spill over, 
but you know we don't need to make anything more of it and I thought that Boateng posting that picture afterwards saying you know breaking breaking news everything's fine you know <laughs> I thought that was amusing I think this team is much tighter and, and closer than we probably give it credit for um and I, if I was a coach, I am not, but I can imagine I would be pretty happy about both both players really wanting to give it their all in training to to an aggressive, albeit controlled, degree. It feels like they're in control on and off the field because if you yeah. look at how well they dealt with that scenario, Thomas Muller acting in his own special way as peacemaker, and then when Goretzka set him up for a goal against Mainz, the first thing Muller did was go straight to Goretzka and make a big show of doing that. So it was actually an opportunity in a weird way for Muller to show what a leader he is in that dressing room. Yes, and I think it, it does also suggest that there's a real sharpness uh, to this yeah. team at the moment. Uh, not too much, but maybe just enough to keep everybody focused and ready. I mean, truth be told, they needed probably only 60% to yeah. beat Mainz after scoring three goals within, <laughs> what, 30 minutes. Uh, they managed the situation in the second half. I must admit, I think I kind of drifted off watching parts of the second <laughs> half because there was nothing going on. Um, I think Mayan probably felt the same. They were sleepwalking through that game. But it, it, I guess it is a demonstration of their ability that they can once again win these games without exerting themselves. We saw them struggle in the past uh, not long ago against those side of teams. Now, the question that I think is relevant here at this moment is, is this side that can go all the way? I got a feeling talking to Thomas Müller for, for a piece that I'm writing for The Athletic last week in Munich that they get a sense that maybe things are kind of coming together to an extent that we haven't seen from Bayern as far as that dominance and almost sort of suffocating brilliance is concerned. What, what, what do you think? Where are Bayern in the European context, Kevin? It's a difficult one because they have, you know, some really strong rivals in that competition. You look at Liverpool and the way that they're dominating the Premier League right now and you look at the way that Liverpool were able to brush Bayern aside in the second leg of that tie in the Champions League last season. So they would be a huge danger. That said, there are question marks over most of the big guns in the competition. You look at Paris, you know, we've seen uh, the scars that they carry from failures gone by. Real Madrid, not quite the team they were. So Bayern might be timing their push in a really clever way because suddenly they're hitting top gear. Suddenly they're re-energised. I think the fact that they are right slap bang in the middle of a really tough title race domestically is actually a great thing for them because we've seen when they've won the Bundesliga far too easily, the intensity mm. drops and they can't bridge that gap. Yeah, that's so true, especially when they get to March. You know, in previous years we've seen it and thought, well, they now have to raise their game again. I think it only works in their favour. I think Kevin's right. When somebody who would raise uh, Bayern's game, I think we all agree, would be Leroy Sané. Um, I asked the Athletic Sam Lee to tell us what's the latest about a possible move on non-move. Well, yeah, like you said, it, it is turning into a big saga. I think everybody was just about comfortable with how it was looking, even if not in the summer, certainly in the last couple of weeks. Um, we, you know, we did an update on the Athletic about City players thinking he's going to leave, and you know, it was all it was all still agreed with Bayern, and that was very much still what he wanted to do in the summer. And then Pep Guardiola spoke at his press conference the next day, and he spoke. You know, he he was he appeared so resigned to losing Sane, and he said, you know, 
we can't have any influence over what he wants to do and you know these these guys have families and their families want what they want and we can't change that and he he really did look resigned to leaving but what's changed now is the fact that he's got these new agents and there was a story the other day obviously in germany um that you probably know much more about than i do um that apparently he was going a bit cold on the move because Bayern didn't want him this month or, or in January anyway. Um, and that Bayern had been annoyed because the new agents wanted to start the negotiations from scratch. And given everything was agreed for Sane to go to Bayern last summer, and now the new agents have said, no, we want to we wanna renegotiate this deal. You can see that annoying Bayern. Um, I tweeted last week, I said, it seems like a few games are being played here and I wouldn't be surprised if Real Madrid get a link to him soon. You know, the old classic way of, you know, trying to get a club to up their offer or, you know, kick into gear a bit more. And lo and behold, on Thursday night, there was a story again in Germany that both Barcelona and Real Madrid may be interested. And if they were, Sane would be interested in going there. So, yeah, it seems like we're on the cusp of five or six months, maybe longer, of a real tiresome saga but where are City in all of this I mean is, is there a chance that they might renew with him or are we at a point where they don't feel they really want to work together Pep and him as far as I know well you know City have obviously had an offer on the table for a long time I think they'd be happy for him to stay I think that you know they'd have been happy for him to go obviously they would have sold him in the summer had he not got injured um, but in terms of the contracts I don't think there was ever any intention once Sane got injured to up that contract. They kept it on the table and they thought this is a sign of our uh, our faith and our loyalty to Sane to keep this offer on the table while he's injured. And as far as I know, Sane never showed any interest in, in having a look at that contract again. And he was going to get a lot more money from Bayern. But now this is the thing. So... It's possible, of course, that the new agents, if they're going to be speaking to whoever and if they're negotiating with whoever, and that's kind of the vibe I got towards the end of last week, um, they would obviously listen to what City have got to say. But from City's point of view, if they weren't going to match what Bayern were offering in the summer and now the new agents are effectively saying to Bayern, well, we need to renegotiate this deal again and we want more money. I can't see City going up to these new demands that might even be too much for Bayern, let alone what City were willing to pay. So, I mean, yeah, if if City were to to put forward the best financial option, then it's quite possible that the new agents would think, okay, this could work out. And if Sane has a great end to the season at City, maybe he could be convinced to stay. But what I really, really doubt is that City would go and, paid more money than Bayern were even offering last summer. That seems like a real sticking point to me. Sam Lee there. Now, from Bayern, the champions to the want-to-be champions in Borussia Dortmund and maybe in the might-be champions because they're on a rich in a rich vein of form, uh, scoring once more five goals in a fairly easy win, it must be said, against Union Berlin. But they do so convincingly, playing some really, really nice football. Erling Haaland, another two goals in 77 minutes, his first start. It doesn't look as if this team at the moment uh, can be easily stopped. Or is this just another false dawn? What do you think, Kevin? The caveat I would add 
is who have they played in the last three games? They've played Augsburg, who admittedly have played well in the last couple of months. They've played Köln, who were pretty naive in that game. And they've played an Union team that did give them problems with the score at 2-0. But once Haaland won the penalty for 3-0, that was game over. The big test is probably against Leverkusen in their next Bundesliga game because they will give that defence a fair few problems. Even though Leverkusen are missing a lot of chances right now, they are making a lot of chances. So that's where we really need to see what the strength of the overall structure of the team is like. But as you say, going forward, irresistible at the moment. And Jaden Sancho, electric, 12 goals and 12 assists in the Bundesliga. For a 19-year-old, it's extraordinary. I mean, he's almost unlucky that his exploits are somewhat overshadowed by... Erling Haaland, but he has been absolutely unplayable at times, uh, certainly since the winter break. I completely agree with you. Now, the question is, against Leverkusen's homicide, will we see the debut of Emre Can? And if yes, uh, and even in the long run, can he make that difference defensively, maybe also in terms of leadership, John? I'm a big fan of, uh, of Emre Can, and I think it's I think the signing is interesting. I think it's one of those that maybe doesn't, you know, generate the kind of headlines that a, an Erling Holland signing does, but I think it could be crucial, especially for a January signing, which, you know, is not normally the time that you would make um, potentially the kind of signing that could win you the title. I thought what I really like about Emery Chan is his ability to, you know, add some bite into a midfield. I mean, at Liverpool, I think he could have stayed and become something really impressive. Um, they obviously went a different route in their evolution, but obviously it's easy to forget how how pivotal a player he was during those years because, you know, Bundesliga fans will remember he never really got going at Bayern, was was okay at Leverkusen. Um, and I think his development at Liverpool is part of the reason that, you know, via a trip to Italy, he's back in the Bundesliga playing for Borussia Dortmund. I have a lot of time for this signing. I think it's really, really impressive for Borussia Dortmund to have made, I think they had the best window in January, um, to bring in a player who is going to be a little bit more aggressive. If you look at that midfield, uh, Witzel is, you know, your conductor. I, I sort of like Emre Chan as the, the slightly mad violinist, you know, in a way that he's going to be able to change the, the chord of a game and, you know, change things up in a way that I think sometimes is necessary. He won't do anything flashy. He might score a goal now and again that's impressive. But on the whole, I think he's a, the kind of player that Borussia Dortmund can use, especially with the defensive issues. Obviously, there's been talk about him moving into the centre of defence. I hope that doesn't happen because I think it would be a waste of his ability in midfield. But yeah, I think it's a great signing. I'm, I think it uh, could be the masterstroke for Dortmund. I think there's a strong possibility he might play that third centre-back in the back three. You mean like a sweeper? A little bit akin to... Um, no, the third... No, the, the, the right centre-back, oh, okay. I, I wanted to say. Um, the right centre-back in, in, a, in the back three. A little bit um, akin to the role he played at Liverpool at times. I mean, he also played as a right-back, of course, and as a defensive midfielder there he is very versatile uh, but what do we make of that uh, slight descent I mean they could have been carded for that but they were already off the pitch so it probably would have been difficult for the referee to to go over but both Hakimi and Marco Roy showed a little bit of unhappiness and frustration when they were taken off um, is that a sign of 
a team perhaps feeling that uh, the authority of the coach is not so strong that they can get away with that sort of stuff? Or is it just individual frustration? What should we read into it, if anything? I think Kevin? it's a mix of factors. I think the Favre factor is definitely there because he's not a tub thumper. He's not a scary guy in the sense that you know you are worried that if you transgress, that might be the end for you at, at Dortmund. I don't think they fear him in that way. They know that he's quite a collegiate, forgiving guy. I think there is competition for places now in that squad. Royce is looking around him thinking, well, Azar has been dropped for this game against Union. If I'm not careful, it could be me. So I think there's a bit of frustration in that regard as well. And also they were hammering Union. They were playing really good football and nobody really wants to come off the field when that's the case. So I think it's a mix of factors. What Dortmund have to do is use it as a positive and think that these are energised players who are desperate to do well and keep their places in the team. Well, another um, person desperate to do well is, of course, Uwe Rösser, the new coach of Fortuna Düsseldorf, and we wish him uh, well. We hope that he can stay up and, uh, more importantly, give a good account of himself in his first ever stint in the Bundesliga. The question, though, is, Kevin, and you have the inside track as far as Fortuna is concerned, what really happened between them and, and Friedem Funkel? And while it was perhaps not a surprise that he was ultimately dismissed a few days ago, why did it happen now, you think? I spoke to their sporting director, Lutz van Steel in the last few days, and he told me that they got to the stage with results where they felt that they had to make a change. The truth of the matter is, from the moment that Lutz van Steel took that role, he and Funkel have not necessarily been on the same page in terms of the direction they wanted to take the club in. In the sense that many of the signings that Lutz made, Funkel did not play on a regular basis. He was accused on a regular basis of keeping... Uh, faith with the likes of Adam Bodzek and Oliver Fink, who'd done ever so well for him at Fortuna in getting them promoted to the Bundesliga and to an extent keeping them in the Bundesliga last season. But a lot of the guys that he brought in, like Kovnatsky, like Ampoma, weren't getting the game time that perhaps uh, Lutz wanted to see. And so he wants a new direction. This is an opportunity with the team struggling at the wrong end of the table to make that change. It's a risk because Lutz has had a lot of criticism from the fans who many of them worship the ground that Funkel walks on. But he knows that in the long term, this could be a really good thing for the football club. OK, we'll have to see how that pans out. Certainly, I think Dusseldorf, on account of their performances last season, would suggest they have what it takes to stay up and perhaps finish in mid-table again if they can consolidate. Now, I know that the three of us all watched Hertha against Schalke on Friday night. <laughs> uh, two hours that none of us will ever get back. <laughs> At least I got is paid there for anything? watching it. <laughs> well, yeah, that, there is that. Is there anything positive we can say about this game? I do think that Piatek, when he came on as a sub, got as probably the same or maybe the most, the loudest reception I've ever heard for a Hertha player since maybe Marcelinho. So there was that, you know, in terms of notable notable uh, moments in the game. <laughs> well, Piontek, I've been reliably informed, actually translates as Friday in Polish. So it could have been very much his day uh, on Friday night, but he didn't score. So nearly, nearly. 
Um, the question is, though, where's the service going to come from? Yeah, I think that's a big issue. Uh, I think they had a good transfer window. I think as long as they stay up, Luca Toussaint will be a good signing in central midfield from Lyon when he arrives at the end of the season. Matthews Cunha can drop a little deeper into those areas where he can be creative. But really what they lack is a midfield creator. It's all very functional. It's all about energy. It's all about drive. But there isn't really anyone in that midfield area that can pick a pass and open up an opposition defence. And you're relying a lot on a young kid in Javairo Dilrosen to come up with something unpredictable. So I think Piontek is a pure goal scorer. I think he's a classic number nine but he needs that service. And my worry for her to going forward is that there is nobody to provide it. My worry for Schalke is that there was also a slight lack of creativity or perhaps more than a slight lack of creativity. They played a lot of long balls. That was very clearly the plan, but it didn't quite work. Was that one of those games which really showed that for all the progress that they have made, there is still a long way to go for David Wagner? Yeah, I think so. Um Maybe we should just also give the you know give some props to defending on both teams. I mean, I know it wasn't a classic; we all had to endure it rather than enjoy it. But I do think the defending at times was was pretty solid. Um, and for two teams that have in their recent history been famous for not such great defending, um, perhaps it's the kind of performance that they can take something from, even if it wasn't necessarily visually stimulating. I mean. Schalke is so difficult. Sometimes you you think that they've turned a corner under David Wagner and then they've really, you know, got things going. You know, as we heard from Weston McKenney uh, a week ago when he spoke to you, Rafa, about it, you know, you, you certainly feel like he's changed the energy in that group and, and got them playing in a in a more positive way. And then you watch that game on Friday and you think, uh, did they change their coach again in the time? <laughs> yeah, the irony hard. is it was a massive step back back towards everything that Wagner has railed against since coming Yeah, it was like Tedesco's coach again. <laughs> completely. It could easily have been a Tedesco performance because they panicked, they bypassed the midfield. Ari didn't get it on the ball enough and he's the one that can really make things happen. And I thought the absolute epitome of this was the reaction of McKenney when he came off. He looked devastated because he mm. was like, oh, this is back to the old days that I hated so much. You know, we've been combining, we've been playing much more attractive football, and then we served that up. So he looked really disappointed, and I imagine plenty of the players will be as well. So that was certainly a step back in that game, I felt. Well, McKenney was either unhappy with his performance and Schalke's regression tactically, or he was hurting from hurting his shoulder once more. We don't know. What we do know is that we have over-exceeded our quota uh, for talking about this game. Don't think it warrants any more time. And unfortunately, we've also run out of time as far as the pod is concerned. But my thanks to Kevin, John, and indeed Sam for joining us. My thanks to the listener. Make sure you tune in again next week. Well, if you want to read about Alessand players' problems or indeed the other top football content on The Athletic, join us by using the special code GERMANPOD. So go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash GERMANPOD. That's almost as good a deal as €20 million Euros for Erling Haaland. <laughs>